0: Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 16 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So, if you're a potential buyer or seller out there, you have absolutely heard the talk of what PE or DSO groups are paying for practices. Insane multiples. As a cheerleader for the private practice industry and transition route, you probably think we try to shy away from these discussions or think you're evil if you consider this route. Nothing could be further from the truth. Our only goal is to educate you as a buyer or seller about what you're getting into and let you make the decisions. We want to help you, and if a commitment or the requirements of a PE offer work for you, great. We just want to make sure the financial payoff's right. We're in. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the good and the bad of the PE offer, and so the goal here today, again, is just to educate you, and we're going to talk about the good and the bad. You know where our heart lies on that spectrum from a private practice standpoint, but we're going to give it a go.
1: Awesome. Your <laughs> entry is so amazing. That, you know, you're never Charles reading this. It's always the Christie. <laughs> it's just your, your opening is so fantastic. Yeah. So, hey, before we get rolling on this whole buyer and seller on the Y thing, can you give us an overview? I think we talked about this in a previous episode, but just remind our audience today, both our buyers and sellers... Just how values are done.
0: Yeah, they're very different than what we're going to talk about the rest of this episode. So, private practice valuation, you're not going to get insane multiples, right? You're going to have a normal valuation. All those rules of thumb you probably have heard about from a 50 to 85% of collections or one and a half to two and a half times earnings. You know, all of those are what we're talking about when we do a private practice valuation. And most methods, so the income we use and most valuation analysts in the dental industry use is called the income approach. And that's where we focus on profitability and we focus on risk. So from a profitability standpoint, how much money does your business generate year over year, right? And not just what your tax return shows, but what is that true profitability once you add back all the stuff that hopefully your creative CPA has helped you run through the business
1: just so our audience again knows so we're looking at the income approach which is the preferred method by in the ADA we're looking at let's say the last 3 years correct so we're looking at say for example year 16 17 and 18 we'd like to see that this practice has consistently done maybe a million and a million and a million mm-hmm. consistently see that the overhead was 60% 60% 60% in the models that we're used, you know, we want to be able to see that maybe the practice is going up on that last year. Maybe it's going down. So there's a weight when you're valuing yeah. these practices, you being the the CPA and the CPA. <laughs> you're looking at all these things, correct? Absolutely,
0: yeah. And the consistency of not just the practice, but the consistency of the overhead, right? You can't have a practice that has a 70% overhead and then shoots down to a 45 and then it's at the 55 a buyer is just not going to know what to expect. So the consistency and stability of all these numbers really matter from a profitability standpoint. The other component, did you have something else?
1: Yes. I was going to say the other thing it really matters to is us when we try to help you. Oh, and yes. the, other, and yes. the other thing yes. is the bank.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: And so. Um,
0: the only what party it, that really matters. Exactly. is
1: thing. When the banks value businesses, what model or approach do they use, Christy?
0: I believe they also use the income okay. method.
1: Okay, so we're using the same method that yes. the bank is using. Yes. Okay. okay, thank yes. you, thank you. And that's
0: how, honestly, at the end of the day, like if you can't get the money to buy the practice and, and no one can afford to buy it, it doesn't really matter what it's valued at, right? right? And so that's the profitability piece. The other component of the income approach is the risk, right? If I can have a practice, two practices that have equivalent overheads, one may have more risk, right? There's a ton of factors we look at here. In our analysis, we have 30 to 35 factors that we look at, and that's location, patients, equipment, what's the insurance mix, competition, the transition plan, what type of practice are you, where are you located? There's a ton of them, and, and some big and some small, some have little impact, some have a lot of impact. Those risk factors make your specific practice seller different from the guy next door who might have a similar overhead. If your practice is located in an urban area and you have brand new equipment and you know, you're you a GP and you're happy to hang around for a while, your practice might value higher than the oral surgeon in a rural area with you know, some outdated equipment and wants to hand over the keys to the buyer the next day, right? There will be a difference in those values given the same profitability. And so those two factors kind of work together. And depending on the mix of profitability and risk is going to depend on your valuation, Now, that valuation is your standard things for private practice. That's what you're going to pay. That's what a bank's going to lend you, and you're going to walk away. Now, another approach in the valuation world is the market approach, okay? And that's what we're all familiar with. If I sell my house at $120 a square foot, my neighbor should be able to sell their house at $120 a square foot. Same with practice. If this practice sells for five times multiple, the next practice should be able to sell for a 5 times multiple And the reason why this exists is sometimes because certain markets or certain specialties are more of a seller's market, you know, ortho, or a practice in D.C. or a practice in San Diego, people are willing to pay more for them because there are less of them. And it's a more desirable location or specialty or, or whatever it might be. That is the market for it. That doesn't mean that's what a bank is going to give you. And so there sometimes is a difference, right? If a if valuation only comes up with an 80% value, but the market is demanding 105% of collections, right? Versus 80% of collections. There's this difference of what I can get from a bank and what the market kind of will hold. And maybe what I'm even willing to pay and I just can't get the money from a bank. That often is where we kind of see sellers' notes and we see, you know, the seller having to be involved from a financing standpoint. And some sellers won't take on that risk and some buyers won't take on that risk. But we see that more often than not in those orthodontic transitions currently and in those more desirable location markets.
1: Yeah. And just one point there, I just want to make is that you can't just, when you're about ready to purchase a quote unquote million dollar business, just say, well, it's 85% of collections, that's what I'm going to pay. I think it's really important to have somebody that specializes that can analyze these risks and even know what those risks are in a dental practice and to be able to assess those and be able to share what those risks are with that opportunity with the client so the client knows what they're getting. Yeah, and we're absolutely
0: not saying like go spend 105% of collections for this orthodontic practice that has a 95% overhead, right? right? Like the profitability, again profitability and risk go hand in hand. So you have to really figure out both of those pieces to know if it's a good fit. Okay,
1: perfect. Um,
0: So that's that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is what we're going to spend the rest of our time today talking about, which is the private equity DSO model. I mean, we're hearing this every day. If you're listening, you are probably hearing this every day too from some angle. So before we get started, because the why is really important to us, why should a buyer and why should a seller be interested in this topic, and why should they continue listening today?
1: Okay. First of all, we interviewed, obviously, between the two of us, 20-plus thousand uh, students and residents on this topic of what are they going to do when they get out of school. They're so nervous about that future, the future of dentistry, how it's going to work, how they're going to be able to compete against a DSO. Maybe they're just going to go work at a DSO. And so I think that there's an education that's needed of even how these companies operate, how they value businesses, what their growth plans are. Uh, I just heard an economist actually from the ADA just lecture at a conference, and it's his opinion that at the minimal number, the private equity DSO group has a 8% share in the market. As I have interviewed and heard other of the major three dental uh, supply companies, the Shine, the Patterson, and the Bencos of the world, their number uh, as far as sales that are going to these different entities or groups is somewhere around uh, 16%. So it's a little more dealt It's the conservative number of eight to probably more realistically is the number that our supply companies are saying. So when we go to these conferences and you see their growth pattern is not 16%, but it's 30% in the next five years, that has to be alarming to it's certainly mm-hmm. alarming to us and certainly alarming to this audience that, that we're lecturing. So let's first just understand how these businesses are valuing these practices because If you're in a practice and they turn around and say, I'm going to make you a partner in one day, but then they turn around and sell it underneath your feet, I think it's important for you to understand how these businesses were valued and maybe why they did it. And certainly as our sellers that are listening, when does it make sense for them? So we're going to break this down from a general practice and just show how these EBITDA calculations are formed, as well as what multiples they're using and what the financing looks like. I will say that I had a conversation with a a private equity group this week, and I do have a client that wants to transition their practice. They yep. had a little bit of a curveball, where got a little scared, a little, mm-hmm. maybe a little fifty, a little late sixty, early sixty guy, got a little scared, couple million dollar practice, and would like to just sell the practice, but work back yeah. and high end producer, and uh, doesn't mind if maybe the back end, you know, he loses a little bit of money, but it's more of an insurance policy. So actually, it's my second time to work for the seller. To actually go to private equity, so it's against yeah. against my will, yes. but in the end, the client is the client, and I need to do what's right by the client and help them. So and sometimes
0: the the practices, and we'll talk about what when it makes sense, right? Which for this person it makes sense, but. Sometimes those practices are harder to find the private practice buyer that will fit, right? right. In the time frame that they're needed. And right. so it's not that it's like, hey, I just want as much money as possible. It's like, I have these other goals I need to meet. And so help me meet my overall goal. That's right. And let's try whatever route we can get there. Um, right. This just happened to be the better fit.
1: Yeah. I have a $2 million practice. How can I get between a million seven and $2 million up front <laughs> today? And I want to keep my job and work back for maybe a half a million dollars for the next five years. Well, that answer is essentially private equity.
0: Yeah. And so there are certain terms when we're talking about a private equity offer. And one of the biggest ones is EBITDA. Okay. Right? EBITDA, EBITDA. What does EBITDA mean? Sounds pretty cool if you say it enough times, but let's break it down. So... EBITDA stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Fancy accounting term to mean my discretionary earnings right. before I run any stuff through, before I have any kind of tax kind of write offs. What is that earnings number? And that is an important starting point for what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to put an example on the site when we post today. So we're going to walk through this. I know it's hard to listen to numbers and we're going to try to be as simple as we can, but we're going to try to provide you an example today of kind of a top level. Here's the collections. Here's kind of what the EBITDA is and kind of break it down to show you kind of what a valuation in the most simple form would look like. Charles, I know you lecture about this all the time. So you have these numbers down pat. So let's start with kind of $1.2 1.2 million dollar collection
1: practice. Yeah, so I'll tell you how this all derived of coming up with this lecture. It I was asked to write an article about this topic, and so I started just kind of diving into the numbers, and then I started you know going to some of these DSO conferences and listening, and we started. Kane Water started receiving a lot. Of quote unquote private equity offers, and just kind of determining does this make sense for our client or not. And you know, the private equity groups they are looking for these opportunities to take a million or million five or two million dollar practice and grow it. They want to be able to see that they're purchasing not four chair practices, but they want to be able to see minimum six, ideally eight, ideally 3,500 square foot. They want to be able to see an active patient base that's north of 2,000 people. They want to see major metro cities. They want to see lack of marketing. They want to see specialty procedures referred out. They want to look at this business and say, I'm willing to pay for it. I want to lock you down with some handcuffs. And then I want us to grow it together and so that they can you know, make some money. So let's talk about what they do and kind of how they analyze this. And what I found interesting with this quote unquote case study Is And what we've been able to see at our CPA partners is just that it does typically make more financial sense for the owner of the business to bring the associate in to grow the business and create equity. And when you measure out your kind of net worth, it typically makes more sense. So that's the good news is we see this. And so our selling doctors, we try to educate them on this, but there are times like my guy in Central Texas that it actually makes more sense in his particular scenario just to sell maybe to corporate and and maybe to, to hold on for a number of years. So we're going to take a very, very simple example. As Chrissy said, we'll get this posted up on the site just so you can kind of follow along. So this is a standard you know, kind of general practice that's doing basically a million and two. So general practice, obviously, there's two components of income. We've got our general dentistry, and of course, we have our hygiene. And so if you look on the maybe the tax return or maybe a W-2, it's going to show this owner making $250,000. It's also going to show this owner making a profit out of the business of $100,000. So uh, without any type of business background, you may take two fifty dollars and $100,000 and say, hey, this business makes... $350,000. Well, part of this EBITDA calculation, or, or what we call also in the accounting business, is the normalization, is we're going to have some quote unquote add backs. This is the perks discretionary. The details would be like the SAMs or the Costco bills that maybe you quote unquote ran through the practice if that's legitimate what you chose to supplies. Legitimate office supplies. Thank mm-hmm. you. Your pension deduction, your interest, your depreciation, the amortization, maybe your continuing education, maybe your your car, your travel, your health insurance. And so we're going to add all those up. In this case, this million-two practice, after normalizing it, we determine it has a 60% overhead or it's netting $480,000. So that $480,000 is going to be our EBITDA before we pay the doctor to work back in the practice. And so here is where the private equity groups make a deal with the seller. And they're going to say, hey, seller, we want you to stay in the practice for two years, three years, four years. And then we're going to agree that we are either going to pay you a low dollar amount, a low percentage. Hey, you're doing 900,000 collections. Well, for the next five years or three years, we're only going to pay you 25% on your doctor production. So now all of a sudden, you take the 900 number. And you multiply it by this 25%, and you say, "Okay, I'm going to pay you $225,000 to work back in the business." So we start with 480. We got to pay the doctor back this 225, and then we're left with 255, and that's our EBITDA. And so, depending on all these risk factors that we do when we value businesses, guess what private equity does? They look at the same risk factors. And they're looking at the opportunity to grow. And kind of a going rate is somewhere around this four to five times EBITDA.
0: And where you fall in that four to five times EBITDA is based on the risk, right? Absolutely. So the risk factor. So the EBITDA after Dr. Comp is their profitability. And the risk is what determines what multiple they're using. And maybe
1: a private aid group says, listen, you want to commit to four years? I'll give you five times. You want to commit to one and a half years? I'm going to give you... Maybe three and a half times. Yeah, because their
0: their goal is to make their money back.
1: Absolutely. And make more money. And then they get this calculation, and then they're not going to give you all that money. Yeah. Okay, then they're going to pay you a percent of that money. Then they're going to hold your hand cover three, five years. Yeah.
0: Getting ahead of ourselves. Go ahead. We have to talk about what factors go into their multiple before we talk about the strings being attached. I'm I'm just just keeping you in line here because that's what I do. Well, yeah.
1: (laughs) I feel, so, I, feel, I, I feel so beat down because I get this at home as well. I never get to be in charge anymore.
0: So, okay, let's go back to the multiple because I think this is important because you hear some multiples, you hear four times and six times and some people throw out crazy multiples, right? What defines other than maybe their work back time, right? But what other things, and I think you mentioned some of these earlier, would make someone pay four times versus six times, Right. Geography.
1: Absolutely. So you, you might look at this PE firm. Do they have locations already in that state, already in that city? You would look at it as a fee-for-service practice, you know, a PPO-driven practice. So they're not taking certain PPOs. Are they going to go ahead and immediately add them? They're looking at uh, the abilities to make changes in this practice from a marketing number of new patients. Is it a sixth chair? Can they put the seventh and eighth chair? You know, so they're trying to assess what and how this thing is essentially going to grow. From an orthodontic standpoint, for example, they would pay as much as the six times earnings only because they know uh, the growth that they can to be able to market directly, you know, to those mm-hmm. patients. They're typically targeting general dentist and orthodontic practices, is because they know how to market uh, directly to the patient. It's one of the things this business part of dentistry, meaning this DSO market. They do extremely well of marketing directly to the patient. The patient doesn't know if it's a DSO or not or private practice, All they know is they get great marketing and they show up because they have cool billboards and cool radio ads that have a really effective marketing campaign.
0: So they're really looking at their upside, like new patient flow is strong. I have got a good presence, like then I'm willing to pay more, especially if doctor's willing to work back longer. Definitely. Right. Which kind of leads us into into the next thing, which is if someone's willing to give you a really good deal, there's often strings attached.
1: There are. And so it sounds so good that it's just like uh, maybe it's a two year, three year, and they're going to pay you a percent up front instead of a five times EBITDA. Hey, in three years or five years, we've got 10 locations. Now we're going to expand to 20. Once we package it to 20, you're going to get an eight times multiple. Let me show you what this number is. And it's all a big sales pitch. It's the biggest sales pitch in the world. And it's amazing because apparently it worked in the medical community. Mm -hmm. Apparently it worked in the but the vet business, what's currently being attacked now, the optometry business—it's it, been—it's been hit so hard and sold. I just don't want this to end up as another medical profession. I want our buyers and seller to understand who's attacking this industry, how it's working, and what our upside is to potentially understand the math, and then you can make the decision if you're going to go down this road or not. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So there's the work back requirement, which basically says I'll give you this money. Well, you're going to have to commit to me to work two to five years. And right. they, they lock you into that, right, by only giving you a portion of the sales price at closing. Traditionally,
1: about 70%. Okay. So it says it's a million-dollar, quote-unquote, EBITDA number. I'm going to give you 700 a day. In the next three years, four years, I'll give you the other 30% or even a number much higher because we're going to package it with a new group. But the catch is when the new group comes in and gives you this higher multiple, six, seven, eight multiple. Guess what they're going to do, Christy?
0: Require you to work back. They
1: require you to work back even yeah. longer. So now you're in the game, six years, seven years, and eight years. And so in the end, I think that you've got to figure out. And one of the things we do, and one this article, you know, has done, is you got to measure your net worth. You got to mm-hmm. measure other things like if you're going to give up ownership. You're giving up tax planning. You're giving up pension planning. You're giving up the discretionary stuff mm-hmm. of the, the stuff, the Costco that you're running mm-hmm. through the practice. You're giving up a bunch of things yeah. over this five, seven year period. And so again, making that case and making that really strong argument that if you just become an owner, bring the associate in, bring a partner in, mm-hmm. push this thing not to a $1 million, but a $2 million, maybe $3 million practice with another associate, another partner, be that front guy or front gal that starts this process and just kind of measure that net worth game over your 20-year period to see which one ends up in a better position, more in control. It's a no-brainer to me.
0: I know. It is. But, you know, we've said in the beginning, and I think we would stay true to that, that it does make sense for some people. Right. right? And when it makes sense for those people generally, in our experience. Yes. Specialty ortho. Yes. Right? Right someone who's maybe a little bit younger in their career, has built up a good practice, is okay with that longer work-back commitment, mm-hmm. is okay kind of cashing out and being able to maybe start over again right. somewhere, or moving, relocating, or a large group where it's very almost common. very... It's hard to find that person or that group of people that can take over and go.
1: Yes. Yeah, so let me explain. So another other practice that we helped was about a $4, 4500000 million dollar collection practice, had three associates, and the buyers just simply... A, were scared mm-hmm. of the price. They didn't like the other associates and there to become partners with them. And so now all of a sudden you have this guy that owned this $4.5 million business, but so he didn't want to buy in. Mm-hmm. And so the DSO, private equity group, is saying, hey, I'll give you $4.5 million for your deal. And so this guy was in Virginia and he's a cool guy, maybe all of 40, and took his $4 bucks. Yeah. You know, and then uh, work back for him, and then he saw it flip again. And then what happens is on that second flip, when the new company comes in and buys out again, they lose a lot of the direction and steam, mm-hmm. and they become more involved. And so that guy's like, "I'm out." And guess what he's doing? He's moving. Mm-hmm. He the entire family, cashed out. Now going to move to a whole different state. And I don't blame him. You know, yeah. I've seen this in, in large orthodontic practices as well when they pay crazy even in numbers and. Some five million dollar practice or four million dollar practice, and someone's offering fifteen million.
0: Yeah, I get I'm in.
1: it. I get. Yeah, I'm in too. I'm in. I'm Sign in me family. up. My <laughs> family,
0: my family here might not be very happy, but I'm moving. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we can commute. Come on. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, I mean, I think that I think that what we've kind of packaged up here today is that it's no secret. We are lovers of the private practice. We generally think corporate deals don't add up and don't make sense. And the reason for that being kind of if you look long term and, and like you said, if, if you can grow up something and bring in associates and gradually pull out equity and stay in control and have all those tax planning, most of the time when we run these numbers, you end up at a, a generally almost the same place. But there are times that we understand as a seller, it's going to make sense. Mm -hmm. And we think that it's important as a buyer that you understand what is being done out there and where your opportunities are going and what sellers might be presented with that you are not going to be able to compete with, but is going to be your competition, right? right? We have ran into so many sellers who maybe are presented this and still... Are like us, and they're like, no, I'm gonna sell to a person, right? Because that's where I want this to go, and I want my patients to go and legacy to go. And so it, it has to work for you, like you do you. And the goal for us is to help you figure out what that is and to help you, whether it's sell to a private person or figure out if this DSO option that's been put in your lap makes sense. That's what our goal is to educate you on doing that. And so we're gonna try to help you do that from here on out. And this topic is not over, right. it will continue to evolve, and we're going to follow it. Can I
1: end on this? It's yeah. just that I spoke to someone this morning, and just they've been in the practice for a number of years. So associates, if you get into a private practice, make sure you try to do the best you can in negotiating how this is all going to work out mm. before you get there. Because the longer you stay there as the associate, the more likelihood that something like this is going to happen. Yeah. So just uh, negotiate all up front about how this is going to work. Create a plan for yourself. And then that way that we can reduce our risk of you being that guy or guy in the practice and all of a sudden it just being sold out from underneath your feet. So um, how about that for a positive? Is that positive or yeah, is that I negative? I don't really like we're going to end on that. I
0: feel like we're going to end in take control. Yes. Right? Take, take control, control of your future. Thank you, Christy. You control
1: you. You control you. I <laughs>
0: Until next time, friends, remember to subscribe to Transition (laughs) Talk on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And as always, like us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Have a great week.
1: See you guys.